We have a missive from Race Control. They say they were monitoring a severe downpour that was rapidly approaching the circuit. And as it arrived during the start procedure, the safety car start and its associated procedures were implemented. Heavy rain now, and a lot of water generally. Copy. Is the track dry enough for Carlos Sainz to pit, come out on the dry tyres? Stay out, stay out, stay out. That's Leclerc. They're double stacking down at Ferrari. Charles Leclerc, who was leading this race and has uh, had to make a second pit stop. As Sergio Perez comes in to make a pit stop, is Max Verstappen coming yes. in too? Yes, he is. There's Sainz behind Perez. Uh, what I wanted to see was happening at turn one, and it's Max Verstappen ahead of Charles Leclerc. So both Red Bulls overtaking the two Ferraris. And the race leader oh. compromises Sainz. What a save from Carlos Sainz that was. Look at this, top four then, almost nose to tail. It's Perez in the Principality. He wins the Monaco Grand Prix. Hello and welcome to Monaco and specifically to the Red Bull Energy Station, which is jumping, jumping in victory because it's Sergio Perez who has won here in Monaco for the very first time. Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham. Mr. Tom Clarkson, and for one week only, well, maybe more if he does a good job today, Mr. Alan McNish. Thank you very much, and hopefully I do a good job and you can maybe invite me back again. We will love that. We will tell you soon. Tom, how are you? Oh, Exhausted? You know what? Pinks, thank goodness the Monaco Grand Prix weekend is a day shorter. I can't remember how I made it through when it was Thursday You're running. You're not moaning, are you? You're at the Monaco Grand Prix for God. Nobody wants to hear that you are tired right now. He's getting old, that's why he's tired. Funny you should say that, Alan, because it was my birthday yesterday and, uh, and it minute. wasn't an early night. Listen, can I just say that when it is my birthday, I give you at least a two week run in because I want you to have time to buy presents. I want to really milk it. Why didn't you let us know? Because well, I'm not 12. I don't really get that excited about my birthday. <laughs> I clearly, I clearly <laughs> am not 12 either, but my God, I milk it. <laughs> Anyway, so do you prefer the idea of having that holiday day where you can recover now you're getting into those elderly years or what? I loved it. I mean, I suppose this brings us on to the significance of the Monaco Grand Prix because as we speak now on the Sunday evening of the race, there is still no new contract for the Principality. I just think this whole event is utterly brilliant. Uh, we've had a brilliant race today, I might add, but just the whole vibe you get here it's the age-old question, isn't it? What's more important, Formula One to Monaco or Monaco to Formula One? I think they're two peas in a pod, and it just works. And we get to Sunday night, a little bit weary, but loved, loved every minute of it. It's difficult for the teams. It's difficult for the drivers. The conditions today, you could see that it was tough out there. But the reality is everybody wants to come back. And I suppose the thing for me is that it, you've got a championship that's got 23 races in it and Monaco is one of them. But if you had 23 events that were all the same, it'd be pretty blooming boring. And this one is that little bit special. You saw it, it's absolutely jam-packed this year. All the grandstands were full, the boats were overpacked, and everybody was here because it was Monaco, and not just because it was another race. I couldn't agree more. The magic of Monaco is unparalleled. This is a unique Formula One event. It should be on everyone's bucket list, even if you're not a Formula One fan. It's electric atmosphere, incredible parties, glamour everywhere you look, but the history of the place, I mean, you feel like if the hills could talk, it would just uh, reveal 
um, something about the real DNA of motor racing. And Pinks, that is why we saw a very emotional Sergio Perez win number three of his career, but I felt undoubtedly the one that means the most to him. He was really emotional on the podium, still emotional in the press conference an hour after he'd been on the podium. It's just special, isn't it? Well, he's joined an elite club of Monaco winners. And as you say, if you ask the drivers which races they want to win is their home race, which actually is Monaco for most of them now anyway, <laughs> and it's the Monaco Grand Prix. You know, it's so special because it's just not easy. You've got so much to contend with. Okay, they say, well, if you put it on pole, you're gonna take the checkered flag. Oh, no, no, so much can happen as we saw today. I mean, today had a bit of everything, didn't it? What about if you crash in qualifying just before your last run coming into the tunnel at 40 and then go on and win the race? That would probably make it even more special when you come down to it. Alan, let's take Checo's um, weekend in chronological yep. order, right? Uh, I love Q3 in, in Monaco, uh, Saturday afternoon. The driver's on the absolute limit on one of the most demanding racetracks in the world. He has that crash and he was so deflated, wasn't he? Yeah, he was because uh, obviously he thought he could do something with it on that last lap. What it did do was it basically secured Charles Leclerc's pole position. However, saying that, I don't know if anybody would have actually beaten that time that Leclerc did. It was pretty blooming awesome. But he was deflated, he came back from it, he drove a really good race and he put himself into the position when Ferrari maybe didn't get the strategy right that he was ready to take it. But the, probably the thing for me over the weekend, he was quicker than Max Verstappen. Yes. Consistently yeah. quicker than Max. And being quicker than Max anytime is pretty tough. Being quicker than Max round here is very tough. And I think he's put himself into a position where within Red Bull, he's not a number two. He's uh, sort of coming to be like a number one-ish. And uh, that's something that's very good for them because they've got two strong guys against the fight against Ferrari. Hang on, hang two on. Is it? We did have a point to prove in Barcelona. You know, you're right. I don't think it is very good. I think it makes life a bit more complicated for Christian Horner. Um, I think, by the way, the only person that would have beat Charles Leclerc's time yesterday, had it not been for the crass, is Charles Leclerc. Because yeah. he was on an absolute stonker of a lap. And it sounds strange saying it, given that he had a crash. I just felt with Checo that all weekend he was finding his groove, he was building up rhythm here, which is so important at a track like this. And he just felt good and at one with the car, apart from the crash. But you have to be at one with the car because you've got to be able to predict it. And that's what he was definitely doing in the race. And he was able to manage it as well. And so I think his overall race uh, strategy, his personal race strategy was superb especially at the end when uh, you had Sainz on the harder tyre. He was graining his fronts, he had traffic coming up ahead of him and he just managed to contain it all so that he caught them at the right time. And it didn't give Sainz any option uh, to have a go at him. And so Sergio, to me, drove a fantastic race here. As you said though, it brings him 15 points from the lead of the World Championship now. And so it certainly does give Christian Horner a bit of a positive headache. It's a, I would say it's a luxurious problem to have. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of teams who would like to, in that be, like to be in that position. Mm. How difficult is it to keep your concentration around a normal 77 lap Monaco Grand Prix? Although it wasn't 77 Ex was it? Except yeah. it wasn't 77 today, yeah. but what, one that lasts effectively three hours. So a much longer race today. Do you reckon it was pretty tough for those guys? Well, I don't know, because I crashed at saint Devos. <laughs> I never made it to the end of the 78th lap. Um, it was tough, definitely, at the beginning in the wet. And on that crossover point, when you got to the end and it was dry, then, you know, you were running through. Uh, it wasn't as if they were driving all the time in the three hours, obviously, with the red flag and things, uh, because of Mick Schumacher's 
pretty humongous accident. Thankfully, he's okay. But there, at the beginning, it was definitely very, very tricky conditions because the circuit's got limited grip. You've got a lot of downforce on the car, but at such slow speeds, it doesn't work that well. And uh, if you were anything but first, you were in the spray. And that was where I think uh, everybody sort of kept their nose pretty clean in general. We saw some people crashing on the, on the way to the grid, you know, so in that respect, it wasn't as if it was an easy run. Do you know what I found fascinating? And I never thought I'd hear myself say that I find tyres fascinating, but I did today because all the compounds were out there and it wasn't clear to see which one was the best one to be on at any one point. Yeah, well, you saw people running to the grid with every option possible. You saw them coming out at pit stops, not 100% sure. We weren't sure which ones they were going to take. There was different strategies. The two Red Bulls went on to mediums, where the two Ferraris went on to scrubbed hards at the restart, where, honestly, I thought that was going to be a tricky thing. The fact it was a rolling restart gave them the chance to do it because they wouldn't be as under attack as they would have been if it had been a standing start. You wanted a standing start, though, didn't you? I did, but I understood 100% why Eduardo Freitas, the race director, didn't do it because half of the grid was damp, half the grid was dry. So the people on the left-hand side, so two, four, six, eight, ten, they would have been just going backwards without any chance, and everybody on the one, three, five, seven would have just shot forward. So it'd have been pretty unfair for, for example, the people on the left-hand side of the grid. Now, if you can hear that announcement. They're actually asking people to leave the Red Bull Energy Station because it's 7.30. Hang on, I thought parties went on till 7.30 a.m. in this part of the world. We ain't leaving. This is, this is the party from last night that's just finishing. Ah, the one from tonight for the victory is actually going to continue on till I think next Tuesday. Wonderful. Alan, uh, so all the VIPs are now just coming down from the swimming pool. wonder who we'll be able to grab in a minute. But just while we keep our eye on that, what did you make of the, what was it, an hour and five minute delay to the start? Not surprising considering the rain, not surprising considering the weather forecast, and not surprising considering that uh, they didn't want to start something that was going to be red flagged due to incidents. However, there was a point where I thought, we've got to go racing. Yeah. We have to get out there and go racing. And I think that's a very difficult thing from uh, the point of view is here. Having lived here, I know the weather comes from certain areas. And I know that uh, you can reasonably predict there's going to be big downpours. And when it does rain, by hell it rains. I come from Scotland, I know about that sort of thing. <laughs> but it really does rain torrentially. And there was one point when it was undrivable. And uh, then it brings up the question, why is it undrivable when these are meant to be the most technical cars in the world? In defence of the FIA, there had been a power outage and they were very concerned about the reliability of, of the five red lights. And there was all that going on in the background as well. So I think Eduardo Freitas, only his second race as race director, I think he had a lot going on. Eduardo, I've known very well because he was the race director in the World Endurance Championship. So as a driver, I've had many of a discussion, shall we say, with him. And uh, what I've found is he's very, very clear, but he certainly is, even although it's his second race, I don't think that would phase him in any way. He's got a capacity to sort of take in big pictures. He's the race director at Le Mans 24 Hours, which has got a lot of different circumstances throughout the, the event. But uh, it was a very, very tricky one. And... I think they got the calls right. The only thing is maybe they could have started the race a few minutes earlier. Mm. I'm really excited now because uh, we're joined by a lovely friend, a wonderful woman and the mother of Max Verstappen. Hi, Sophie, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. It's great to see you. And um, this is a question that Tom wants to ask you because he has heard that actually you are the fastest 
of the Verstappen clan? I used to be when I was young. <laughs> You're still young, I think. Yeah. You've got great genes. Well, everyone in your family seems to have great genes, very fast genes. A good DNA. Listen, when you see Max have the success that he's had, not just in the last, last year, in this year, obviously, but since 2015, just describe the sense of pride that you feel. You're so proud as a mom, you know, it's, it's it was a long way for us to become like a world champion and we had to sacrifice a lot as a family. And uh, then it's, uh, how you say, it's the most achievement that you can get as a driver. And he leaves uh, Monaco as the championship leader. And I, I feel like this championship has had so many swings in it already. Like it's crazy, isn't it? There were stages when it looked like he was out of it and now he's come straight back in and uh, Maybe you would say not altogether comfortable with the car this weekend and yet still pulls out a podium yeah. today. Yeah, you know Max is a fighter. Eh? He will always fight for his position. Yeah, but exactly oh, which part of the family does he get that from? <laughs> also a little bit of his mum. Oh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Sophie, how, how nervous do you get when you watch them? Because having been a racer yourself, are you much calmer because you know what's going on out there? No, not at all. I, I always uh, wonder uh, how the, the moms of the drivers feel because I'm always nervous when he, he's driving because I know he's always putting like uh, a move and then yeah, I'm still nervous. Alan, it's great to get uh, Sophie on the show. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Nature versus nurture with these racing drivers. What about if you have nature and nurture? Yeah. And then you've got a pretty dynamic uh, duo. Certainly, you know, Max comes from very good DNA, as you said. I, I would say not just necessarily the natural feel and talent, but also, I would say, a quite a spirited determination yes. from mum and dad. And uh, that is certainly flowed through. You can see that in his driving style as well, the whole mentality, the way he goes around it. But uh, the one thing I saw with Max today was somebody that wasn't necessarily attacking for the last 10th or the last overtake that we have seen before. Mm -hmm. Someone that realized maybe I'm not quite quick enough this weekend to deliver a win and think in long game. Is that the, the world champion's mentality? It might be the person that's just won a world championship and knows he's already got one in his pocket. So doesn't necessarily have that little thing to prove, not to everybody else, but very often to yourself. I certainly know from my point of view as a driver, it was proving it to myself as much as it was to proving it to anybody else. Yeah, it's a really interesting point because I spoke to Max coming into this weekend and actually he didn't feel that they were going to have the quickest car around yep. here. And he actually said, look, this is a long game that I need to play yep. now. I come to Monaco, though, with a calm confidence that I haven't before, having won it last year. So it's interesting how that mindset can alter. Also, when he looked in the mirror at the end, after the restart, he had his main championship contender behind him. And the person leading was obviously his teammate. So from that perspective, it was reasonably protected position. And so he was in a, I would say he was in a good position, whichever way he was, because he was ahead of Charles Leclerc. But it was a strategy masterclass from Red Bull today. That double stacking was seriously impressive, very slick. Do you think it was a strategy masterclass or was it a strategy lesson that maybe Ferrari need to have a little look at? Okay, because well, that's a bit of both, I would say. Yeah, there. that is an interesting point because we actually haven't spoken enough about poor old Charles and how really he was let down by the team today. A massive amount of confusion. It seems to me, and this might be oversimplifying it, but it seems to me that there just isn't that strength and conviction on those sort of strategy calls and there's confusion i mean how can you be told almost within the same breath come in no stay out 
I mean, that would drive you crazy as a driver, wouldn't it? Pinks, we've seen it quite a few times in the past, not necessarily just from Ferrari, from a lot of teams as well. Indecision in wet, dry races, these things. But I think you saw two sides of the Ferrari circumstance today. You saw Carlos Sainz taking a clear decision, I want to stay out and go straight to Slicks. And you think that was his decision or the team's? I think it was his statement and they followed it up. They weren't thinking about it in advance, they would have switched them to Inters, but they followed it up. Here you hear the... The boats making noises in the background, or celebrations or commiserations, I'm not 100% sure. But then on the other side of it, um, Charles was left out to dry a little bit, and ultimately there was that complete indecision. The worst thing as a driver is indecision. I prefer a bad decision, but a clear one, as opposed to indecision. I which not agree yep. more, because it felt like it was a half-hearted decision both ways. They, they didn't fully commit to anything. And you know what, if you fully commit and you get it wrong, you go, well, at least we gave it a try. But it's that just no man's land that just must be difficult for a driver to compute. The other thing was, it was quite clear very early on when Sergio pitted early, due to the fact that Gasly was coming through so quickly on the inters, that uh, the writing was on the wall, if you look at it. Now, uh, it's easy to say, well, ifs and buts afterwards, but they all have to do that. They all have to replay the race and look at what the key, I would say, points are that they need to notify for the future. Because when I think of it from Charles' point of view, he lost the win today, but he also lost one in Barcelona just a week ago. So that's two victories that have slipped away that have gone to the opposition. So it's not just necessarily Charles, it's also Ferrari themselves in the Constructors title as well. It sort of showed a lack of understanding as to the difference in performance between the Inter and the dry tyre because the, the Inter was always going to be an undercut whereas yep. the dry tyre was always going to be an overcut because the, the hard tyre taking a long time to warm up. And so the fact that they pitted Charles for, for after Checo for an intermediate the race was gone at yep. that point. So, yeah, you know, you can stare at a computer and you can say, the computer says I've got to do this, but sometimes you've got to sit on the pit wall and just look at the situation with your own eyes. And it was clear, wasn't it? I think in circumstances like that, you're absolutely spot on because very often the driver's just got the feel of the car underneath him and he understands without necessarily having the experience of it on this circuit because they hadn't the experience of it in the circuit with the changing conditions but they understand what it's more likely to be the one thing the driver doesn't have is the vision over what everybody else is doing and that's where the team need to be clear but whichever way i think that ferrari kind of gave it a little bit away at the same time, Red Bull, and especially Sergio, was there to pick it up and put themselves in the right position when the opportunity arose. And that's what you have to do when you're behind. And when you're leading, you've got to protect your place. Now, Alan, I know you've got to go. Two questions. First of all, your driver of the day. It has to be Sergio because of what he did. But I would say there's some other outstanding drives. I do think Carlos Sainz did a fantastic job. I think as well, uh, Pierre Gasly came through, but ultimately, one driver that I thought did really, really well, but didn't actually gain anything, was Lando Norris. Because he, from the fact that he's got tonsillitis, not very well, delivered it in qualifying, and I have to say delivered it in a car that uh, is improving, and then came from, what was it, 15 seconds behind, with like eight laps to go, and caught right up in back of uh, George Russell. It was pretty impressive for me. All right, and uh, we need a bombshell from you now. Okay. You are forever associated with Audi, winning Le Mans for them. You were their team principal, team boss, is that right, in Formula E? Yep. They have now withdrawn for Formula E. When are they coming to Formula One, Alan? Anyway, see you later. <laughs> oh, don't do that to us. Alan, 
Thank you. Enjoy the party. Look forward to it. Okay, so now what we're doing is wandering around the paddock. By the way, it's a really difficult place to get around because there's people everywhere. But we found Alex Albon on our travels. Um, how are you, Alex? Uh, disappointed. It was a messy one for me then. Um, tricky because we're wet and dry. A lot of different things needed in terms of cooling and everything like that. And it, it makes brakes and engines and everything not work what they're meant to do. And uh, it makes them have a working range, which I guess the... the it needs a wide window, and F1 cars don't like wide windows. You know, they like to be running a certain way, so uh, brakes and everything were so tricky today. Is it doubly disappointing? Because I felt you guys were quite confident coming yeah. into this one. Really quick at the yeah. end as well. Yeah, we were, we were well, I don't know how many, how many people were saving tyres, but we were quick all weekend, generally speaking. Quick for us, you know, I mean, it, there's, there's a difference there, but uh, we did a decent job in qualifying. The red flag hurt us. Um, and in the race, it was just, I mean, well, it's tricky out there. So, yeah, it, it is scruffy, and I made um, a couple of mistakes. But there were mistakes which I didn't even think were mistakes, if you know what I mean. So I, I braked, brakes were cold, and then for the first time in the whole race, the brakes work. And then you get the lock-up, so it's like, oh, God, anyway. You know, Nikki said the same. You're not, you, you can ramble away as long as you like. We love to listen to your rambles. But Nikki said the same. He said he just went to turn in and nothing happened. He was like at pains to say, it wasn't my mistake. To think strange things were happening with the car today. Uh, I don't, nothing don't, strange. Don't, don't, don't stitch him up. <laughs> <laughs> nothing strange. It's just, um, you know, that's it. Nothing strange. <laughs> oh, just before you go, what is Monaco like in the wet? Oh, man. I mean, tyres don't warm up properly in Monaco because it's wet and you're going around at walking speed. And then they overheat and there was no feeling of grip at all during, during the whole race on the wet tyre. That was the most sketchy thing. You know, we have a thousand horsepower and we barely can go flat. I mean, we're wheel spinning in sixth gear in pretty much every straight. It sounds really good fun. You should try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the way you say that. That's how you do yeah. it. <laughs> yes, Tom Clarkson, back in your box. I know, yeah. Alex, enjoy much. the rest of your weekend. Thank you. What's See left you of it? Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. So let's just describe the scene. Yeah. So we are now walking from the energy station to the paddock. It's a barge, actually. Now, to give anyone who hasn't been to Monaco some idea as to the layout here, everything is stacked on top of each other because there isn't an inch of space wasted. And as we stroll past Mercedes, which is pretty much glued to Pirelli, which in turn is stuck to the side of Aston Martin, let's talk about George Russell and his race. And he's uh, maintained that record, Tom, of finishing in the top five. Something he's done at every race this season. And given that this wasn't a car that felt compliant, it felt a real handful around these streets, that is a pretty major achievement. Oh, full sense of security after Spain. I thought we were going to come here and we were going to see Mercedes well, challenging for the win. Well, very different, though, to Barcelona. I mean, they don't think they ever expected the car to do that well here, did they? No, I think, uh, and, and actually through the final sector of Barcelona, the slow bit, they weren't particularly dominant, but the old the bouncing came back, didn't it? And it was just well, it, all in all yes, a bit disappointing. I think it's but important to clarify that it wasn't porpoising, it was bouncing, and it was about the stiffness of the car and the fact that you could feel pretty much everything and it's a bumpy old circuit. I mean, is, that is the other thing that just blows my mind every single time we come here. These are streets. These are tight, twisty streets that people are now partying on, spilling beer on. And only moments ago, 
We're racing a Grand Prix on. Yeah, that, that is utter all Utter madness. Utter, utter madness in a way. And, and George did do a fantastic job to bring it home fifth. Still the only driver on the grid, you know, to be in the top five in every single race. He's done a phenomenal job. Now 4-3 in his favour in qualifying as well. He would have taken that at the start of the year, wouldn't he? Oh my goodness, absolutely. You know, after seven races, I would have out-qualified Lewis Hamilton more often than the not. The seven-time world champion, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah, so he's done a great job. And I think Lewis probably very frustrated. What did he do? He came home in eighth, didn't he? He did. I mean, he got really snarled up behind the Alpines, didn't he? And I don't know if you heard my interview in the pen with Fernando Alonso, but oh. I spoke to him and uh, I said, you know, what was that all about? You're going incredibly slowly. You were something like the, the cork in the bottle, if you will. And he said, yeah, you know, I was saving tires. And I said, you know, do, do you ever feel a sort of sense of responsibility or, you know, frustration for the others? You know, do you feel like you maybe need to apologise? He went, are you kidding me? I'm preventing Lewis Hamilton getting past me. I love it. Did he say? He actually said that. <laughs> Little rascal. It, 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 it runs deep between those two, doesn't it? <laughs> sure right does. back sure to does. 2000. I mean, he was infuriating. Lewis. I mean, Lewis said to me afterwards that it didn't bother him that much, but it must have done. I mean, I don't know what that Mercedes could have done today, but it certainly didn't have the chance to show it because it got stuck behind Alonso and indeed Ocon. And of course, he had the contact with Ocon as well, which Ocon got the five second penalty for and tumbled down the order as a result. Ocon felt that that was really unfair, by the way. He appealed the decision. Pinks, isn't it? A slightly unusual thing that two races in a row now. Lewis Hamilton has made contact with another driver. Whether it's his fault or not, it's just such an unusual thing for him to do. It was Kevin Magnussen on the opening lap in Spain. But he's running in the midfield. We're just not used to him being True. there, it's aren't we? Point. And it's yeah. a very bunched up midfield. Yeah, really close. But So fifth and eighth for Mercedes. And then we stroll a little bit further down this paddock and we're outside Aston Martin now. They brought their updated package to Spain last weekend. Didn't work out. Both drivers knocked out in Q1. Sebastian Vettel, I thought we saw a little bit of the old, I, the old I fireback. I agree, and tucked into the points. And I think what's really interesting about this uh, new look Aston Martin is that they feel there is just so much potential in this car to develop it. One of the things Andrew Green, their technical director, uh, said in Spain was that it gave us more... The new, the new car gives them more setup options, especially somewhere like Monaco. You have to change the steering rack because you, the, the lowest hairpin, the slowest corner in Formula One, you actually have, you need more turning circle to get around that. So it just gave them way more options. And to see Vettel getting into Q3 for the first time this year, I thought was sensational. And I think a real fillip for that team. They've, they've had a tough time. So just to our right, Tom, is Team Signs, including his beautiful girlfriend, who, by the way, I just think is one of the coolest girls on the grid. She is very laid back, great support to him. And uh, you'd have to say, I, look, it's weird talking about frustration with the P2 here in Monaco, but that first win in Formula One still eludes him. It is frustrating for him. And actually, he felt, were it not for the Williams impeding him on the outlap that he would have taken the victory. Well, Pinks, it was all about fine margins today, wasn't it? Him losing two seconds on his outlap, he thinks that's what cost him the victory. Then Max Verstappen having to, you know, absolutely gun it, leaving the pit lane to keep Charles Leclerc behind him when he just put his hard tyres on. Had he not done that and Leclerc had got through. So it was all about the fine margins. And it was cool at the end, wasn't it? In the last five minutes when you saw that little snake. All four. Red Bull Ferrari, Red Bull Ferrari. And you thought at any time one could try and make a move on the other, particularly with 
Checo's graining medium tires sort of dropping off and you thought, oh, well, any minute now, maybe a few more laps and signs would have done it. An interesting thing that Carlos said prior to the race was that he's a mad Real Madrid fan, of course, and the Champions League final on Saturday night. And he was asked, were you going to go to the final, nip up to Paris on Saturday night? And he said, I wanted to, but I knew that if I then had a bad race, you'd all blame, blame it. Blame it on that. By the way, let's just take that analogy uh, on because what about Carlos Sainz's save? It was the save that Thibaut Courtois would have been proud of. <laughs> Very good, Pink. But did you? I have to credit Crofty with that, actually. He oh. said it in commentary. It was true, though. Yeah. But, but, but just to go back to the original point of Carlos Sainz saying, I couldn't go to the Champions League final because if it didn't work out in the race, I knew you lot would all blame it on that and accuse me of being unprofessional. And I, I was sort of hoping if he wanted to go to the Champions League final and he could find a way of getting there and getting a ticket, that he'd go. I, I, wish, I wish he'd stop worrying about what people think and just be Carlos Sainz. Now, we're wandering down to McLaren and it's apt, I would say, that the, their former boss, Eric Boullier, is with us in the paddock now. And uh, just tell us what you've made of the chaos that was the Monaco Grand Prix today. Well, it's, it, it's Monaco. I think it's uh, you, you can simply say that. Obviously, the rain already is... Uh, uh, create generally a mess in the very prepared team's strategy and everything. But Monaco is Monaco, it's even worse, you know. I mean, when it's raining here, it is, it's clearly chaos, chaos every time it was raining. So Now, Eric, you're also the boss of the French Grand Prix. Uh, only a couple of months till we go there. Looking yeah. forward to it. How are ticket sales? Just give us some insight. Yeah, good. Uh, sold out. So obviously today we still have a couple of tickets on Saturday and maybe on Friday. Uh, Sunday is sold out completely, hospitality is sold out, so yeah. But this is exciting, this is exciting times for Formula One and it's fantastic um, that the French Grand Prix can hopefully deliver more of the magic that we've seen throughout this season. Yeah, I think it's uh, with the new cars especially, you know, I mean the new regulation as well. I mean last year we actually were voted the fifth best race by you guys in the UK. Uh, we had like the third most overtakings maneuver, so it was exciting on track. And uh, having grandstand completely full, you know, is going to be another atmosphere. We have a lot of uh, entertainment stuff around as well. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully it's going to be a great weekend too. Oh, I'm so looking forward to You've it. You've got to take your gorgeous boy off now, I know. But just before you go, because we're about to discuss McLaren, what have you made of their races so far this season and their performance today? I think it's a solid race today. I mean, it's not been easy, you know, so even if obviously they lost one position against Russell, uh, I think it's uh, still a solid race. It's never easy to manage as the street of Monaco. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they're still keeping up, which is good. It's still from the outside, you know, it's a bit difficult to understand sometimes the up and down of uh, performance of different teams, you know. Uh, but I think it's uh, generally speaking, they are fighting for the fourth place in championship, which is good. If we're going to talk about your former teams that you used to run, well, there's Alpine as well. Yes. <laughs> can we can we say that? Look, Fernando Alonso, what is he? He's going to be 41, two, one. Spring chicken. Spring chicken <laughs> at the end of July. What do you make of Alpine and Fernando this year? I think it's good for, uh, for Alpine it was good for Alpine to have Alonso because he's, he's the reference and he knows very well the team as well. You know, he knows how uh, as the team in Enstone, back in Enstone, or walking there and he's good for uh, to have somebody who is such a, uh, experience and being a reference and he's still dedicated 100% or even more actually uh, to his job, you know, so I think he's good. But uh, it's good as well to see they have young bloods, you know, pushing behind and, uh, and, uh, and preparing the future. Ah, the problem of Oscar Piastri. Is that what you're referring to? 
I didn't say <laughs> no, uh, but Listen, we've got to let you go. Yeah. Enjoy some family time. It's so lovely to see you again. Yeah. See you soon. A bientôt. A bientôt. Uh-huh. Right, let's talk oh. McLaren then. Well, hang on. Just the oh, problem of Os- yeah, Oscar okay. Piastri. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, so yeah, yeah. three into two doesn't yeah, go. I know. You've got right. the race drivers, Fernando. It's too bloody good not to be in Formula One. So he's the reigning Formula Two champion. He is currently doing a test program in a 2021 Alpine. Uh, driving on all of the racetracks that he doesn't know. So he did Kota, the Circuit of the Americas, just a couple of months ago. He's going to Suzuka later in the year. Proper talent, managed by Mark Webber. It seems... By the way, find me a better mentor. Yeah, he is amazing. But what do you do? Because I think the word on the street, tell me if you've heard something different, is that Alpine are going to re-sign Fernando Alonso. They've got a long-term deal with Esteban Ocon. What do you do with Oscar? I think you've got to find him somewhere else on the grid to, you know, bed him into Formula One. And I think there will be opportunities elsewhere. Right. Now, this leads us on to the team we're standing outside now, which is McLaren. So we've got Lando Norris, Alan McNish's driver of the day. I mean, Lando wasn't feeling great still, actually. No, he definitely wasn't fully, um, fully well. Uh, He much better than Barcelona, but not quite is fighting best but still managed to bring it home in sixth place having qualified in fifth what is happening with that second seat which is why i've linked it to oscar piastri because daniel ricardo i thought had a rock solid contract till the end of 2023 and he does yet zach brown came out on the what was it the monday speaking to sky actually, yes wasn't he was it? on any driven monday on sky f1 just remind us what he said well he basically said that uh Daniel wasn't living up to expectations. Now, listen, I don't think this is anything that we don't already know. I don't think this is anything Daniel doesn't already know. The issue I have with it is going public. I just don't understand it. I know that Andrea Seidel is a big fan of Daniel's and I know that Daniel wants to be doing better. I think the question that you're asking is, does Daniel still deserve his place in Formula One? And the answer to that is a categoric yes. Does he deserve his place at McLaren? Okay, but then what are the alternatives? I don't want to see him fall down the order. I don't think anyone does. I think it's impossible to imagine Formula One without Daniel and Daniel without Formula One. Look, things aren't going well, but you only have to cast your mind back to last September when he was winning the race. He won the race in Italy. I don't know. I'm I'm frustrated for him. I think fans everywhere are. But also remember that Zach Brown is a commercial beast and he recognises the importance of popularity with sponsors. Daniel was voted by GQ magazine the most... Good-looking. ...popular <laughs> Formula One driver in America. This is a market that they're desperate to crack. Daniel's cracked it. We know his talent hasn't gone anywhere, so hang on to him, support each other and get through this. Right, Pinks. Zach Brown isn't an idiot he would have had his reasons to go public whether it's to apply maybe they think they've tried the softly softly approach and maybe Look, to go uh, pu- uh, i don't know hang on hang but, on, hang but on. Pinks, that, he will yeah. have his reasons he's yeah. not he's okay. not stupid okay of course he's not and this is this is my earlier point that he is commercially incredibly savvy in fact probably the best in the paddock that's that's where his career started was in sponsorship bringing big sponsors into the sport but Daniel doesn't lack motivation. So it's not about putting a rocket up his ass and saying, look, this is, you've got to get better. It's about adapting to the car or the car adapting to him, bringing the two closer together to ultimately deliver results. I worry for Daniel that Zach's got his reasons and I wonder where it'll lead. And will they end up chasing 
trying to get Oscar Piastri out of his Alpine contract? Will they try and get Colton Herter or Pato Award in the car for next year? But again, this goes back to my other point, is that I know that Zach's made noises about wanting to have an American driver in the McLaren for obvious reasons, but Daniel has cracked that market. So if that's a box that you want to tick, Ricardo's ticked it. Interesting times ahead. We're going to wander a little bit further down. Uh, we're now going past Alpine. Uh, we've discussed Alonso came home seventh. Uh, Eric Boulier thinks uh, he's doing a great job. Ocon came home 12th after another five second penalty. Same thing happened to him uh, in Imola. Um, although this time it cost him points. Ocon came home 12th. Uh, he had a frustrating weekend actually, Esteban. He was struggling well, with the car I in practice. I thought it was so interesting how they were nowhere on Friday and then suddenly they put in this incredible performance in quali on Saturday. Surprise them. So actually Fernando was delighted with uh, bringing it home in seventh, but um, Ocon frustrated and didn't feel that that penalty was fair. Now the only other guy we haven't discussed who came home in the points, Valtteri Bottas in ninth. Or Valtteri Butt-Ass as I prefer to call oh, him. Did you see his weather update? Did you see his I weather did. update I loved in the race? It. That for me, is social media at his best. Just explain the picture. So it was basically a meme of him lying, but at Raskas, <laughs> with his butt cheeks showing and the red flag. And he said, weather update. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go and have a look on Twitter because it's uh, got a huge amount of likes. And it retweets. said so much about his mindset of where also, he's at I now. Just think, yeah, I just think he's enjoying his racing, isn't mm. he? Even though this weekend did promise a lot. And they came into it genuinely believing they could get a, a podium. So yes, when you consider all of that, to get into the points was ultimately a decent weekend for him. Yeah, although everyone at Alpha was a little bit stressed because, of course, Fred, going back to my birthday, I like talking about my birthday after the event, <laughs> picks, not noticed. before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fred Vasseur and I share the same birthday and we normally do this thing where we go down and have a glass of wine on the evening because it's always the Monaco Grand Prix weekend. So I came down after qualifying to the Alpha Motorhome ready because they, they serve very nice Van Rouge here Ooh. at Alpha. And well, I have to um, try that out But then. Fred, foul mood because was qualifying he? hadn't, well no I can't say he was in a foul mood but qualifying hadn't gone as well as he'd hoped. Valtteri only 12th and Joe Guanyu back in 20th after getting held up in traffic. So it's funny, isn't it, how even when it's your birthday, the timesheet is what matters more than anything. Yeah, and it? I also feel for Joe Guanyu that his F1 season, his F1 career, started really with a lot of promise scoring on his debut, and it just hasn't quite delivered since, has it? There's been a lot of bad luck, there's been a lot of mistakes, and I think he's going to be looking hard to get this back on track. Let's end the show back with Red Bull, where the party's still going on. Of course it is. Uh, let's grab a quick word with the race winner. Now, you are soaking wet, Sergio Perez, for very good reason, because it is tradition that the winner of the Monaco Grand Prix jumps in the Red Bull pool. Yeah. That must have been the best swim of your life. Yeah, this is a great moment, you know, to celebrate with all my team. Everyone got wet. Uh, it's a mess, but, uh, but it's worth it, definitely worth it. I'm so happy to see everyone so happy. Good. Well done, Checo. Many congratulations from all of us. And if we turn two steps to our left, here's Red Bull team principal, Christian Horner. Christian, you've dried off, but I, get, I guess that was refreshing and ultimately, well, the best step of your life, wasn't it? Well, look, I mean, uh, fantastic, you know, to win this race for the sixth time. Uh, you know, great for Checo. I mean, um, unbelievable drive from him today. 
and uh, you know, so pleased for him, the team. I mean, just the teamwork has been impeccable. And uh, you know, first and third, it's disappointing that obviously we're having to deal with a protest, but um, you know, hopefully it'll be uh, upheld. So we're hearing Checo's in the clear, but Max is still under review. Uh, it's with the stewards. I mean, for us, it's clear he doesn't he doesn't cross the line. We've seen other drivers do that in the past, into the pits, out of the pits. Um, so I really hope common sense prevails. And have you seen all the different angles? We've seen as many as, as there is available, and I think uh, he's on the line. He's absolutely on the line, and uh, I, I, yeah, I think uh, you know that's 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 clear clear to us that that's okay. Right. Let's focus on the positives though, because uh, as you say, incredible teamwork today. That double stack that was just so slick. All credit to the guys in the pit crew today, turning that around. You know, one check of the race and got Max on the podium, and. Uh, you know, we got the course right on the pit wall today. You know, getting that crossover from the wets to the inters, then inters to the slicks. Um, you know, you had to read the race. You know, get it spot on, and and, and we did that. And and Checo really made it work for him. So, uh, uh, you know, we benefited from Ferrari's you know misfortune, um, but but uh, you make your own luck. Christy, well, can you just tell us a little bit more about that whole process? Because it seems like you and Ferrari were in two different races today. You know, they were in a very comfortable position. They got Charles in a good lead and, and they had a very quick car here. So they only needed to react to what we were doing. And, um, <coughs> you know, they, they, they seemed to miss the window and, uh, and then got themselves a little bit, a bit confused. But, uh, you know, we just had to focus on our own race and get the calls done, get, make sure the tires are in the pit lane, do all the, all the basics well. And, um, you know, the team did an unbelievable job today. And uh, the drivers, you know, delivered their part and, uh, you know, very proud of what they've achieved. Can I? Can I? Put I don't want to push our luck. He's got to go. I know, I've got you one more thing. Do this. Yeah, but I've got one more, Christian, because there's something. Like I'm not sure this went out on the world feed, but Checo was heard saying, "I signed too early," as he was driving back to the pits. And uh, in light of lots of contract talk this weekend, um, what could he have been referring to? I, I think he must have been talking about the bar bill or something. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, he's doing a great job. We're very happy. You can see the dynamic in the team. Both of Ferrari's protests were subsequently rejected by the FIA stewards. Well, Tom Clarkson, what an enjoyable weekend. What a lovely podcast to do to round it all off. And uh, we're now about to venture out into the streets of Monaco, past Rascas and all the madness that we love Monaco so much Well, for. the dusk is falling. We're, we're recording this at, what is it, just gone 9pm local time on Sunday night thinks it's been brilliant. We normally end these with our driver of the day. So Alan McNish said Checo Perez, didn't yeah, he, earlier in the I, show? I'm going to cut and paste that, I'm afraid. It's, uh, look, I don't think you can see beyond Checo. I think he's looked good all weekend, apart from that crash in Portier in qualifying. But he, uh, yeah, he's been magnificent. I think you can think beyond him, actually. Go on. Charles Leclerc. I think he has oh, been absolutely brilliant this point. weekend. That Q3, that the Q3 lap right. that he didn't finish. It wasn't finish. his fault that he came fourth. It was just... He was 0.4 up on that yeah, final okay, Q3 lap. I'll give you that. So I think, yes, Checo, brilliant. Wonderful to see him win his third race, his first one in Monaco. But Charles, brilliant. And what has he got to do to win his home Grand Prix? It will come. It will come. Well, Pinks, that's it for another that's week. It. See you in Baku. Oh, well, we'll chat before then. We're going to do our preview on the Tuesday before Baku. So please uh, listen in to hear more from us on that. But for now, thanks for listening. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.